Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Coming to you from the legendary studios of Sports Radio 950 KJR Seattle. Your home for live and local sports proudly presents Sports Saturday. Happy Saturday, everybody. I just realized it's also Cinco de Mayo. Terry Blunt here with you. This is my first Saturday show of what I hope is going to be a great time for all you guys and for me. I want to thank everybody for coming in. For the first show, we've got a jam-packed show to, to give to you in just 90 minutes today before we go to Sounders pregame. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I am so happy to say and proud to say that with me for the first show is the glue of KGR Radio, the one and only Curtis Crabtree. Curtis, thanks so much for being here today, producing this show. He is the man here for everyone who listens to KGR knows that, and he's going to be involved in everything we do here today. It's going to be a great show, and I want to, since it is the first show, I want to talk a little bit about what we want to do here every Saturday. First of all, it's just great to have a local show, a local angle show, live on Saturdays here at KJR. And I want to really do that justice as much as I can. And one thing we want to do each Saturday is kind of be a bridge between our weekday shows and what happens on the weekend. Obviously, believe it or not, a lot of sports happens on the weekend. So we're going to address some of those things that happen. And we're going to address the things that are the highlights of the day. But we're going to mainly stay with a local angle on things. Obviously, Seahawks, Mariners, Sounders, anything else that's going on, UW you know, whatever's going on in the topic of the moment. But we want to be that bridge between all the great shows we have during the week and the weekend before we go back on Monday. So I I want to kind of do that as much as we possibly can in that regard. And you may have heard this right before the opening. A big announcement is coming here on Monday. Jason Puckett will announce on his show his new co-host, and it's big news, let me tell you. Can't reveal it yet. That's all for Puck to do, but it's really going to be cool, and everyone's going to want to listen in Monday to see who that is. So a little bit about today's show. It's jam-packed. We're going to have on Greg Bale of the Tacoma News Tribune. He's the Seahawks beat writer. He's going to talk about his impressions from the first day of Seahawks rookie camp yesterday. That goes through the weekend. We're also going to have on TNT baseball reporter T.J. Cotterell, who covers the Mariners and the impressive season the Mariners are off to, what a great start they've had. I'm going to talk to him about what he thinks they need to do to, to stay in the race and how surprising they've been so far. That's going to be great. And then at straight up noon, we're going to have a surprise guest from Seahawks Rookie Camp. One of the Seahawks Rookie Draft Choices is going to join us. I'm not going to reveal who that is, but you'll see at noon. That's going to be a lot of fun. So we've got a lot to cover today in very little time, and I just want to thank everybody who's going to be part of the show today. A lot of people have already sent me text and sent me messages on Twitter saying they're going to listen in on the show. Let us know anything you want to talk about. Send us a text on the Heritage Distilling text line at 49451. Give us a call. Let us know. We're also going to talk about... Some stuff I've done on Twitter. With each show, I'll give you guys a topic on Twitter to give me your take on. We have two today. Number one, since it is the, at least for now, the retirement of Ichiro, even though he says he may play again and wouldn't be at all surprised to see that happen next year in Japan. But anyway, for now, since that happened, I thought it would be a good time to ask people, who is your, who would be on your Mount Rushmore for the Mariners? Who are your four guys that would make your Mount Rushmore for the Mariners? People have been voting since yesterday. You can continue to vote. Send in a text. Send it to me on Twitter. We'll announce before the end of the show the four people that got the most votes. And then also I had a little uh, Twitter vote that you can still vote on that's out there if you go to my Twitter page. And that is, which rookie for the Seahawks do you think will have the most impact this season, and I had four names on there, and that was, of course, Shaquem Griffin, uh, probably the biggest name of of all the rookies anywhere, for that matter. Uh, also, Rashad Penny, the first round pick, the running back from San Diego State, 
Rashim Green, the defensive lineman from USC, or the punter Michael Dixon from Texas, the fifth-round pick. So go ahead and vote on that if you want. We'll announce that later in the in the show, who you think will be the most impact, impactful rookie for the Seahawks this season. So it's going to be a lot to cover here in just a very few minutes. But the first thing I want to do is get to some uh, things that happened that are big in the news that happened last night, and it was a big, big night in Major League Baseball last night, and that involves nationally and locally. Curtis was there to see one of them, and that was at the Mariners game against the Angels. Pujols, Albert Pujols got his 3,000th hit of his career, and even though it wasn't a good night for the Mariners, losing 5 to nothing, it was a big moment to see that happen. Curtis, what was that like to be there and see Pujols get his 3,000th hit and see the fans' reaction and the, the players' reaction. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good experience to be there for. Um, it's You know, I've seen quite a bit of baseball over the years now, having covered the, the, the team for nine, ten seasons, been around them quite a bit. You know, I've seen a couple no-hitters, a combined no-hitter, which also happened for the Dodgers last night. I've seen, I've seen one of those at Safeco when the Mariners had one, and I think that was 2012 when they, they managed to, to – to, to handle that one, um, but to see Pujols get a, a 3,000th hit, there's only been, what, 32 right. uh, people to, to eclipse that mark, and, you know, Robinson Cano will have a shot at it. He's about, he's just shy of 600 hits away from 3,000 as it is right now, which means he should be probably a, a less than 500 by the end of the year. Um, Stays healthy, he should get there. Yeah, right I think there's a decent chance he gets there. Um, but you know, Pujols becomes one of only four players to have well, that's uh, the big three thousand hits and, and six hundred yeah. home runs, and so that's incredible. He joins Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, and Alex Rodriguez as the only players in baseball history to have three thousand hits and six hundred home runs. That's that's really impressive. So he's had an amazing career, and uh, you know, started with St. Louis. Uh, one of the darkest days <laughs> for me, being a, a a longtime Astros fan when I grew up in Houston, was being at the game, the playoff game against St. Louis, when the Astros had the game run and Pujols hit a home run, maybe the longest home run I've ever seen that landed off the glass behind the railroad tracks at Minute Maid Park to win the game for St. Louis in the playoff game, but. As it ended up, the Astros ended up winning the next game of St. Louis and went on to the World Series. That the first time they went to the World Series, which wasn't a good experience for them, but I remember that distinctly. And he's had a remarkable career, and he's very well liked by his teammates. One thing I thought was cool last night, Curtis, and this says a lot about the fans here and the people at Safeco Field last night. And they really treated it with respect. Uh, they stood up, they applauded him. You know, it was it was really a classy thing to do, I thought, from the crowd as all the players for the Angels came onto the field, came out of the dugout and came onto the field to congratulate Pujols. I thought that was really nice. You know, there's a lot of parks. I don't know that that would happen, but uh, that was a very classy thing to do, and it, it's cool to see the fans do that. By the way, that was only half of the big news in Major League Baseball last night. Also, there was a combined no-hitter for the Dodgers over the Padres that was thrown by four different pitchers for the Dodgers, and that happened, by the way, in Monterey, Mexico. In a series, the Dodgers and the Padres are playing down in Mexico, so that's very cool. Uh, and that is also the first time in Major League Baseball history that there's been someone get a 3,000th hit for his career and in another game, a no-hitter was pitched. So that's the first time that has ever happened in Major League Baseball. And for it to happen with both the teams from Los Angeles is even more remarkable. I saw a picture of the front, the front page of sports section from the Los Angeles Times today, and it said 3,000 hits at the top, and then in a big headline below that, no hits. So that was kind of cool. By the way, they took the starting pitcher, uh, Walker Bueller. Yes, his name is Bueller, like the movie. The rookie pitcher for the Dodgers, they took him out. Uh, Dave Roberts took him out after six innings when he had thrown 93 pitches. It ended up being a four-pitcher no-hitter. And I don't like that. You know, I, I realize he'd thrown 93 pitches. I realize he's he'd just been up for a while and he's a rookie and all that stuff. But you couldn't leave him in just to pitch at least one more inning and see what happens there, see how many he had to throw in the seventh inning. You know, if he ends up throwing 25 pitches in the seventh inning, I get it. But what if he gets through the seventh inning, he's still got a no-hitter, and he only had to throw ten pitches? You know, I mean, I, I just don't like that. And, and by the way, Curtis, 
Dave Roberts has a history of this. This is the third time since he's been the manager of the Dodgers that he's pulled a pitcher from a no-hitter. He did it with Stripling uh, when he was in the eighth inning in 2016, and then he also did it with Rich Hill after seven innings when I believe Rich Hill had a perfect game. So he has no qualms of taking pitchers out of no-hitters. I, I just, you know, I'm old school. I don't like that. I wanted to give the guy a chance. I wish he'd have gave the rookie a chance. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, but if you, he, you said he was already over 90 pitches. He was at 93. Through six. Yeah, he's not probably so not going to finish it. But 15 least, pitches an inning is a pretty general um, right. basis to, to go on. So you're talking 130-plus pitches for him to, to get, get in there. sniffing range of a no-hitter anyway. So what's really the difference? Well, like I if, guess if I would have let run, if, you, if he's not going to run the whole length of it anyway, what's what's – I, I guess I would have given him the seventh to see if someone got a hit, and if they did, then you're off the hook. If they didn't, okay, go ahead and take him out. But I've definitely given him one more inning to see what happens, especially when I'm a manager who has a reputation of taking players out of no hitters. But but then does it become okay? Well then let's do another inning. Then you got it. Well and, yeah, and then, then I know you never get again, to the end of that. It could be the same argument. But if you get to the end of the seventh and he's thrown 115 pitches. You you have no choice there at that point. You have to take him out. Although back in the day, that didn't matter. If you're pitching a no-hitter, if you had to throw 180 pitches, you're going to do it if you're going to pitch a no-hitter. So no one ever came out of a no-hitter if they could help it. So yeah, that's just it's just a different era. I get that. You know, pitchers don't pitch as many innings. It's the era of going to your relief pitchers and all that kind of stuff. I get that. But in this case, I wish well, they'd given the pitch, kid a one Pitching more. is at such a premium. I mean, just take take a look at what happened with James Paxton earlier this week. He'd thrown 105 pitches through seven innings, had 16 strikeouts uh, against the A's, and Scott Service pulled him from the game, partly because he also knew that he was going to a bullpen that had been pretty rock solid in Nicasio and Diaz. It didn't work out that particular night, and, and the A's were able to come back and get him. But – with Paxton, it's not like he's particularly proven to be durable throughout his career, and they need to get 30 starts out of that guy this he's, year. He's your ace. You've got to do that. And, I get and that's the most important aspect there is yeah. getting him through the season healthy and being that guy. And it's important for him, too, because he's got to show he can do it before he gets his next contract at some point as well. well so that's there's true. a benefit to him there, too. But, um, yeah, you know, I get it. It's, I just, a, it's, it's waiting just, yeah. the one game versus the 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 whole the whole marathon right. sort of thing. And like I said, if he's not if he's not getting to a point where he's going to finish that off, more than likely anyway, I don't know what the difference is at that point. Could be. There's one other. And they thing. did finish off the no hitter. A no hitter. They was did. Thrown, they still got so. it. It's still a no hitter. Still great for them and all that. Still great for the crowd watching this game in Monterey, Mexico. Very cool for them to be able to see that. By the way, there's one other thing I want to bring up about baseball before we take a break here, and then we're gonna then we're gonna have Greg Bell on. That'll be great to talk about the Seahawks rookie camp. But I also want to bring bring this up because this is important to a lot of people that are Mariners fans here, and that is that reliever Danny Farquhar, who pitched for the Mariners here, and everyone remembers, also pitched in Tacoma. He is doing really well apparently in his recovery from a ruptured aneurysm when he collapsed in the dugout on April 20th. He's now pitching for the Minnesota Twins, and yesterday White Sox, right? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, the Red Sox. So yesterday, uh, Logan Morrison, who also played for the Mariners and is good friends with Danny Farquhar, went to, he is uh, with Minnesota. He went to the hospital yesterday and looked at and, and went and saw Farquhar. And he said that he was blown away at the progress he's made in his recovery. So I think it's really cool. Uh, that he uh, looks like he's going to be okay. That was a very scary moment. He was a very popular player here, and I know it's great news for baseball. It's great news for the Red Sox. It's great news for everybody that it looks like he's going to recover and, and be okay. So I just wanted to bring that up because that was in the news yesterday. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune talking about Seahawks rookie camp. Stick with us. Sports Radio 950 KJR. Sports Saturday on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. We're back. Terry Blunt with you along with Curtis Crabtree. By the way, in the next segment, I'm going to reveal the actual name of the show going forward. I had 22 different possible names that you guys sent me either on Twitter or text or Facebook, whatever. Some of them are really funny. Some of them I couldn't use because they're Probably not considered politically correct, but we'll reveal what the actual show name will be in the next segment. But right now, going with us 
on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline is none other than Greg Bell, the Seahawks beat writer for the Tacoma News Tribune, a real NFL expert and a great guy. Greg, thanks for joining me on the first show. Thank you, Terry. I'm honored for the inaugural show, but I am a little disappointed. I don't know the name yet. Next segment, let's, let's do it yeah, right it's, now. It, <laughs> yeah, you'll you, you'll hear it soon enough. It's uh, I just wanted to get your segment first. You're more important than that, so I wanted to get you in yeah. first. But listen, uh, I always loved the years I was covering the Seahawks. I always loved rookie camp because these guys come out and they are so happy and so excited and you can see the emotion in their faces and how they react because it's such a big day for them their first chance to show who they are and show what they can do and and uh, i like how you wrote today even uh for shakeem griffin they had to pete had to tell him hey wait a minute slow down a little bit (laughs) take it easy so uh, he was so excited so what what were your biggest impressions uh you know coming out of the first day Terry, I thought Shaquem Griffin was going to run into Lake Washington, maybe <laughs> run across Lake Washington. Uh, he was so jacked up and run around slamming into people and and high-fiving them and chest-bumping. And, and this was during walkthroughs before the warm-ups started. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Pete Carroll said we had to tell him to chill out a little bit. Yeah. Everyone at Central Florida tells me that he only knows Griffin knows what speed, and that's, that's how he's going to practice all the time. And <laughs> he's great. obviously he's obviously spent his whole life proving people wrong and, and out efforting everyone on top of the skill and talent that he has. So, yeah, that it was everything as advertised and more yesterday. And then other guys, they have what is it? Forty six of the seventy players are unsigned. They're yeah. on a tryout basis. Uh, so there are a lot of guys that are literally trying for their livelihoods. And, and to get a job, any job in the NFL, it's hard to do when there are no pads on. So you got to fly around right. and show effort, and it's not like they can knock somebody down and lay guys out. So it is a little intangibles, and the, the effort stuff does matter. It definitely matters. I mean, I know the, the coaches are looking for little things about how quickly you pick up information, the things they tell you, how do you adapt to that, how quickly do you absorb it, all those kind of things. Or everything they do is important. I also wanted to ask you about, you know, not only is this first day for all these rookies, it's, it was kind of a first day in a lot of ways for the, all these new coaches and yeah. how they're going to be and what they're going to do. And, you know, Brian Schottenheimer out there is the guy running the offense now and and, and uh, Mike Solari with the offensive line and, you know, Ken Norton being back, all that cool stuff. So what what did you take out of that? Did you notice, was there anything that was noticeably different to you? Well, first of all, Ken Norton is still the Ken Norton he was when he was here <laughs> three or four years ago. He is still screaming at everybody. He's still getting him fired up and being a linebacker coach in addition to the defensive coordinator. He's still the, the fiery guy he was for Carroll at USC and Seattle before he went to Oakland. So that hasn't changed at all. It was like it was November, uh, <laughs> and here it is in the May May camp. <laughs> One thing really noticeable, Terry, to me, and, and Carol didn't say this, but it was plainly obvious to me, is that Brian Schottenheimer is very involved and very into the eaches, mm-hmm. uh, very hands-on. And that's different than Daryl Bevel, his, his predecessor at Play Caller. And a couple of reasons for that. One is his personality. Kellen Clemens, who has quarterbacked under Schottenheimer for seven of Schottenheimer's 10 years in the league, told me that he is such a detailed guy that he will get on receivers for not having the right splits in the slot, for instance. And wow. sure enough, yesterday, there was a rookie receiver lining up in a slot, a multiple wide receiver formation during a pass drill, and he was lined up incorrectly. And Schottenheimer ran to the line of scrimmage, grabbed the kid by both his hips, and forcibly moved him a couple steps in. It wasn't a huge deal. That's something that maybe Daryl Bevel would have just told the guy about after the play. Right. Well, Schottenheimer ran right in and actually <laughs> physically moved him. And the other thing that's different is Schottenheimer is the quarterback's coach as well as the play caller. Of course, previously, Carl Smith was the quarterback's coach, and Tom Cable was the run game coordinator, and Daryl Bevel was the pass game coordinator, and they had to come to a meeting of the minds on game plan. No, this is all Schottenheimer, wow. and it really does feel and look like Pete Carroll has given me all the keys to the offense 
two one man instead of it being split among three. And I think Russell Wilson is going to notice that right away when this preseason gets going. That is when it will really be interesting when Russell gets out there and see how they both interact with each other and how that works out. That's very cool. I, You know, I noticed, I couldn't help but noticing yesterday that on his interview, Pete Carroll, you know, he typically on these things he'll single out a guy you're not expecting. And the guy he singled out that probably no one expected is the seventh-round draft pick, the quarterback, uh, and that's Alex Magoo. And how did he look to you, I mean, uh, as, as a first look at the guy? Well, let's, let's caveat it, first of all, is that nobody's hitting these guys, of course. They're not in pads. So There's not a whole lot of running game stuff going on. So, right. of course, the, the pitchers and the catchers look best in situations like this. In underwear and running around <laughs> with no contact. I mean, the defensive backs can't even challenge a ball in flight by right. NFL CBA rules. You can't do that. So every pass looks complete, and every pass looks on the mark because they're not being defended. So there is that caveat. But Magoo, he's known, and they've got him because of his elusiveness and ability to throw accurately on the run away from pressure. They claim the Seahawks have analytics that said he was the second most accurate off-the-spot passer in the league in the draft class, behind only Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick. Magoo from Florida International was actually better on the run away from pressure completion percentage-wise than Sam Darnold from USC. That's amazing. That's why they drafted him. But they saw yesterday that he can really throw from the pocket and maybe has a stronger arm than they thought he had. His numbers at Floyd International were pretty were down, 2,900 yards, and that was because he was getting chased for his life, which should make him fit right in. <laughs> I was going to say, well, that, they, you know, that's, that's the right place for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, But they did see – Again, without pressure and without anyone hitting him, that he could stand in the pocket and fire the ball accurately. Uh, and he was getting a lot of Schottenheimer's praises and pats on the back and taps on the helmet for the, after the throws he made, which, from what I've been told, is, is high praise from Schottenheimer. He doesn't pass that out a lot. That's interesting. Before I, I let you go, I wanted to ask you about two other things, uh, not rookie related. And one is, of, cor- of course, uh, the. The announcement yesterday with Cliff Averill that everyone expected, uh, you know, he's been released and probably has played his last game. He was uh, such a remarkable player for them for a long time and just a really good guy. You know, when I was covering the team, Greg, one thing I always noticed about Cliff, and for people who don't know this, you know this, of course, but people who don't, when you go into the locker room during the week, you just have a, a small window there of time where you can talk to players. And a lot of times, players, you know, are off doing other things. They're in the training room. They're getting ready for practice. They're eating lunch. Or they just really don't want to talk that day. So there's not always a lot of guys around there. And Cliff was a just guy about who was, every time, yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, Cliff, but Cliff was a guy who was almost always there, almost always willing to talk to you no matter what the situation was. I just really respected him for that alone, besides his great play on the field. But, you know, I just wanted to ask you about him, and, and I know you have similar feelings about him. I do, Perry. Thank you. I've been doing this for 20 years, covering professional athletes. I used to be a baseball beat writer. I've covered college sports in MLA. I've been, covered the Raiders in the Bay Area, and now up here to the Seahawks. And I would say Cliff Abel is one of my favorite players I've covered, players or coaches. He's probably my top three. The guy's real. And now it's easy to have perspective and the right perspective and the right priorities in place when you've made $28 million the last few years and won a Super Bowl. And, yeah, I get that. But his priorities are completely in order. Family, his little boys, his wife, his helping others and philanthropic interests, especially in Haiti where he has family members and rebuilding schools down there and trying to raise up that impoverished island it means a lot to him that he's taken Seahawk teammates with him, Marshawn Lynch being one of them, to help rebuild schools and homes there in in Haiti. The stuff he's done at child, for childhood obesity and diabetes in this area and, and childhood illiteracy. Yeah. The guy has got it together, and it's well beyond football, not to mention he's a great pass rusher, and as you said, great with the media, always smiling. Uh, and he doesn't need to play. He The neck injury being such a risk, he's at the point in his career with the money he's made and what he's accomplished. He doesn't need to play anymore and he's walking away so he can play with his kids and walk and be healthy with them. And sure. hats off to him for the guy he is, the father he is, the husband he is. As I said, one of the top three or four guys I've covered in 20 years of doing this and I have nothing but tons of respect for that man and, and uh, wish him well and everything he's going to be doing wherever it is. Couldn't agree more. One of my one of my favorite players that I've covered as well. I want to get a little kind of inside baseball here with you for an, for an issue that 
maybe not a lot of casual fans know about, and that is the Seahawks lost one of their top personnel guys in Dan Morgan, who's going to be the director of player personnel for the Buffalo Bills. And I guess I would just want to ask you, Greg, how big a loss do you think this is for them? He he was very well liked there and and a big part of their, you know, decision-making process. He he was. And John Schneider and Pete Carroll, for that matter, have been spoiled by the continuity that they've had, not just in the coaching staff, but in the front office, in the scouting department, in the, the top decision-makers. They've all been on the same page, and they know each other so well. They could finish each other's sentences. It's been going on for seven, eight years like that, mm-hmm. through the Super Bowls and through the playoffs. Well, that's changing now. And and uh, we saw Dowd leave. We saw now we're seeing uh, Morgan leave. And the Fitter has been uh, Scott Fitter has been a subject of other teams' interest as well, and to an executive job. And uh, it's different. And and PK, I'll talk about this yesterday, just on the field and the coaching staff as well that it's changing and. This is a challenge for Schneider and Carroll. They've had it one way, and it's been a successful, wildly, the most successful way in Seattle football history for five or six years, and now it's changed. And this is a challenge for them. They each have two years, Carroll and Schneider, two years left on their contracts, which is not to say they're not going to get renewed, but there is something of an urgency of change here going on that they're going to have to, to manage, and it's going to be different. The messaging is going to be different. The guy who replaces Dan Morgan's responsibilities won't have the same rapport that Morgan and Snyder had in player personnel decisions. And just little things like that, that they have been spoiled by their own success and their continuity. And that has absolutely changed here in the last six and 10, eight months. And uh, we'll see what the result of this change is. And the, the change, of course, made to, to improve. But for sure, it's going to be different, and that starts all the way at the top of the organization and all the way down onto the field. It really is a transitional year for them. In many ways, it's almost like they're, they're starting anew, like they did when they first got here. It's not quite like that, but in many ways it is. And can they do it again? You know, Can they find that magic again that they found that took them to two Super Bowls, back-to-back Super Bowls, and so much success? And it'll be interesting to see what they do. I, I wanted to also ask you this rookie class, which – nationally at least, has been kind of heavily criticized. Uh, I saw one report gave them an F. I know USA Today gave them their worst rating at a D. I gave them a B. I, I thought it was pretty good, actually. But what's your take overall on this on this draft call? Well, first of all, let me get on a soapbox and say grades of drafts are ridiculous. Really are. And that, you cannot you cannot assess the players players for two or three years they haven't even been on the practice field yet they haven't even been on a mini field practice field yet and they're talking about the mini camp practices and they're talking about grades just because a draft expert didn't pick Rashad Penny in the first round he gets mad and says the Seahawks draft sucks well yeah. anyone who anyone who gives them an F or a D doesn't realize what Pete Carroll's been saying and doing since January third. And that's, we're going back to the run game. We're going to fix the running offense. We're going to get Russell Wilson the support he had. We're going to play like we did when we went to the Super Bowl. And we're going to run the ball. And we're going to fix it. We're going to do it. And that's why he brought in a new offensive coordinator he did. That's why he brought in Mike Solari for the line coach. That's why he drafted Rashad Penny. That's why he drafted the best blocking tight end in college football, Will Disley, in the fourth round. That's why he did those things. Right. And because these national experts either don't know that or don't care to know that, they think that they should have drafted a wide receiver or a pass rusher and because they didn't, they failed. Well, they don't understand what he's Carroll trying to do here. And the days of Russell Wilson being the leading rusher by hundreds of yards are over. And the, the day of him having to throw for 4,000 yards for them to win in Carroll's mind have to be over. That's why they've done what they've done. And uh, I, I, I get the system. I, I understand the process of what they're doing. I, I, Totally was not surprised by a running back with the first pick. I thought it was either that or a pass rusher. I'm not surprised at all that they didn't go with offensive linemen because of the faith they're putting in Solari and what the difference is they think DJ Fluker is going to make as a run-blocking right guard. All of it made sense to me, with maybe the exception of trading up seven spots for a punter. But everything else I love that pick. <laughs> <laughs> the kid can do some things with a football. We saw yesterday some punts with big boomerangs. They had curves and arcs on them. Yeah, but, by the way, uh, by the way, that's Michael Dixon, and he is going to be on the show today at noon. So uh, that was a nice oh, – I could segue into about. that. Thanks a lot, Greg. <laughs> Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> you'll have a lot to talk about with him. Ask him how he got 
a University of Texas scholarship off a YouTube video. Right. Um, no, I get what they did, Terry. I understood what they were doing. Uh, we'll see in starting in September whether these guys can actually play. But the method behind it totally fits what Carroll's been trying to do since January. Well, no question. The other thing, too, is that people leave out is they made it very clear that in this draft they're going to go for high-character guys. They weren't going to take, you know, red-flag kind of guys, which hurt them last year, as we all know, with what happened with McDowell and stuff like that. So, And that was another big factor. And from what I can tell, all these guys seem to fit that mold. Really good guys. You know, there's a great picture. I love this picture. I don't know if you saw it or not. That was actually in the Seattle Times today, and that is of Trey Flowers with his daughter, his one-year-old daughter, Bailey, wearing his helmet and him smiling at her. And... That says a lot to me. You know, that says a lot to me about who he is, about what's important to him. She's here with him at rookie camp. I know uh, Shaquem Griffin's mother was there yesterday, right, I think? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's the kind of kids these are that they drafted. And I think that's another factor that doesn't get – you know, people just look at it as the X's and O's on paper and they don't factor in things like that. So I think that's another thing that is good about this draft. So we'll see. Trey, Trey Flowers, for instance, his uh, father was in a horrific motorcycle accident his sophomore year at Oklahoma State. Right, right. And he went down the day before a, NASA, a top 10 game against Baylor to see his father. He ended up being in a medically induced coma for a month. And he's back on his feet a little bit right now, but he survived that trauma of that. And his mother and father had never missed a, had one of his games until that accident. Yeah, there's a lot more, too, than on the field for a lot of these guys. Shaquem Griffin, of course, being the most prominent of them. But uh, they whiffed on a couple draft picks in that regard. Malik McDowell had red flags this time last year that he wasn't as dedicated to football as he should be, that he took his final year at Michigan State off because the team went 3-8. and eight. I think some of that, what you're talking about this year, is a direct reflection and reaction to what happened last year. Greg, buddy, I can't thank you enough for coming on the first show. Great stuff, as always. Really appreciate it. We will probably have you on more in the future whenever we can get you. It's always a lot of great information for the fans, entertaining. You're just a super guy, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate that, Terry. Thank you. Do I get an inaugural sticker or something? Yeah, we'll have to do that. We'll have to get you something, a gold star or something like that. I'm very honored. (laughs) I I do appreciate it. But I do want to know what the name of the show is. Coming up up next. So we're going to announce that next. So you bet. Well, thanks a lot, Greg. Thanks, Terry. That's Greg Bell, the Tacoma News Tribune beat writer for the Seattle Seahawks. A really good guy. When we come back, we are going to announce the name of the show. It has been a really funny topic the last couple of days. I was on with Jason Puckett, and he had a couple of very funny uh, weed-related comments like, Smoke the Blunt Show and stuff like that, uh, one of his suggestions. But there's a lot of funny ones, a lot of good ones. And I'm going to announce what everyone said and what we decided to pick out uh, for the show going forward. Uh, It's going to be a fun day here. A lot more coming up on Sports Radio 950 KJR. Sports Saturday on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. We're back. Terry Blunt with you here along with Curtis Crabtree on our new Saturday show here at Sports Radio KJR. It's going to be fun every week, every Saturday, uh, starting at 11, most days 11 to 1. That might uh, differ depending on what we got going on for each Saturday, but it's going to be fun to have a, uh, have a local angle and a live show every week here at KJR, and I'm really looking forward to it. Right now, we're going to go to uh, the new beat writer for the Mariners for the TNT, and that is T.J. Cotterell. T.J., I really appreciate you coming on the first show, buddy. Terry, happy Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> Thanks, man. Are you having a Are you having a tequila shot as we speak, or uh, are you going to wait uh, on that? Maybe, maybe only a few, only, <laughs> only a couple. It's, it hasn't been that many, but certainly no more than about 10. Oh, there you go. All right. Well, then you're, you're, you're all set then. So listen, first of all, congratulations on uh, taking the job as the new uh, Mariners beat writer. You're, you're just a fantastic reporter. You're going to do a great job for the paper there. And I just wanted to ask you about, uh, first of all, your thoughts in general on this amazing start for the Mariners. I mean, a, a tough night last night, but they're 18 and 13. I think that's better or as good as almost anyone could have hoped going into the season. I guess the big question is, do you feel like they can keep this up? Can they be a true playoff contender this season? Well, it feels like they have a lineup 
to do that, just top to bottom, especially now that they're healthy. You're kind of seeing how that whole line can come together uh, with Ryan Healy batting ninth on most nights, and he's got he had four home runs in four games going yesterday, and he got another base hit yesterday. Um, and, and you kind of look at their record, 18 and 13, and that was with a ton of injuries to start the season, too. Um, and now you're starting to see them get a little more fully healthy. Um, the question is, that it's going to be throughout the season, is how their starting rotation uh, is going to hold up and can they sustain uh, some success. Um, they had going into Paxton's 16 strikeout game the other day. Uh, the, only, the only pitcher who had thrown seven innings in a game was Mike Leake. And the only other teams that had a pitcher, only one pitcher, seven innings in a game before that was the Reds and uh, the Brewers. Um, so they certainly need to get more out of starting pitching, and, and I think they know that's if they're going. They have a weakness that is it because that's why they went outside. Juan Acosta is offseason to bolster their bullpen. They know they're a bullpen team. Um, but I mean, if you if you get Mitch Hanniger having a breakout season, if you get that healthy Hanniger over the course of a full season. Um, if you get Robinson Cano being as patient as he's ever been, um, if Cruz can stay healthy. Um, and D. Gordon continues to um, be electric at the top of that lineup. Uh, I, I mean, I don't see why they're not competing for one of those wild card spots. The problem is, is that look at this division. I mean, that's yeah. AL West is no joke. I mean, you get the Astros around top, and you saw the Angels yesterday. Um, so they're going to do it, and they've got certainly maybe one of the toughest divisions in baseball uh, to have to go through to do that. Well, this is obviously a, kind of a big series this weekend. I know it's early in the year and all that, but these are two teams. You know, assuming the Astros are going to win the division, that that's not for sure. But they certainly they're defending World Series champions. They're still a very good team. The the Angels and the and the Mariners could fight it out here for a playoff spot. So these games with them could be really important games. Yeah, I think that's uh, if you're a Mariners fan, you won't have to be kind of um, reside to the fact you're playing for a wild card spot. The Astros are, are so talented through the lineup, and seeing their starting rotation. I mean, yesterday uh, Garrett Cole. With 16 strikeouts against a really hot Arizona Diamondbacks team, uh, and he had 14 strikeouts again before that, and, and uh, he's one of just—he's not even one of the Cy Young pitchers on their staff. And he had Justin Verlander, uh, Dallas Keuchel, Maris Solid, Lance McCullers can do, um, and their fifth starter is throwing 95 miles an hour, Charlie Morton. So <laughs> the Astros—you kind of reside to the fact that okay, that's the top dog. You're going to have to go through them. But, so if you're a Mariners, you kind of have to resign the fact that you're playing for one of those one-game playoffs. And for those teams, you're battling uh, the Angels. And you saw what Otani can do in that lineup. And um, we know how good Mike Trout is. And um, if the Angels get a healthy Garrett Richards, I mean, he was effectively wild uh, last night. He's all over the place. But stuff was so good. Uh, Mariners chasing out strike all day yesterday in that final loss. Um, so the Angels certainly are talented. And, um, you know the, how um, stacked the Yankees lineup is and how good the yeah. Red Sox are. Um, you talk about all the teams that are tanking, but there's some really good teams uh, as well. So it, it feel like there's no middle ground or very little middle ground in the American League. It's a lot of teams that are on the quote-unquote tanking or teams that are super talented and super stacked. So um, you see with the Mariners, they have a lineup that's going to keep them in their nights. Um, baseball does some weird things. You get 16 strikeouts from James Paxton, you don't win. And the next night you have Wade LeBlanc just gassed by the fourth inning. They do win. Yeah. <laughs> That's their lineup. I mean, I, I guess looking at it now, there's probably still some uh, bad feeling among some fans that as good as they are as a hitting lineup and what they put on the field every day, why didn't they go out and get one of these free agent pitchers like Jake Arrieta, which would have cost a lot of money, no question about it. But now you look back on it and say, boy, one of those guys could have really helped. So I guess the question is, if we get to, you know, if they get to August, uh, is it likely they're going to have to go out and make a deal for one of these kind of pitchers, even if it's a rental, if you have a real chance to make the playoffs? I was, I've been thinking about that because Jerry DePoto um, did make some sort of hint this offseason, I, I, I want to make sure I go back and track that down. But I remember he did say that, hey, we're going to revisit this in a couple of months. And um, he's like, certainly we're not we're going to make some moves to make our team better. Uh, and, of course, he could have made that up like, you know, this isn't working. We're going to go fix it. Um, but I think he meant, too, that, like, hey, you know, if, if we see the starting pitching staff needs help, we're going to go do it. But we think they thought that this is a rotation that um, could get by, I think. 
Um, Erasmo Ramirez is one of the top pitchers who was acquired in trade that when he was brought back to the Mariners last year, and he hasn't looked anything like that. And his two starts before he went to the DL, um, his velocity way down and um, stuff isn't crisp. And um, that that's certainly a concern. Marco Gonzalez has given you some signs of he could be good. And um, he certainly doesn't have the overpowering stuff. Um, I'd be curious to see if they do add someone. And like you said, starting pitchers, that's, there's a reason they're so coveted because they're, they're so expensive. Right. Um, and the Mariners are already at a record payroll as it was going into this season. Um, and then it's not even, it's never a guarantee either. They went out and acquired Drew Smile last year. Then he gets hurt. He doesn't pitch a single game for him. And you see like a guy like you Darvish this year, he commanded a lot of money this off season. And, and he hasn't really panned out to the Cubs well, so far. Yeah. yeah well, so it'll be interesting. it's certainly no guarantee. It'll be interesting to see what they do. They got to get to that point, but it it certainly looks like they have an opportunity. They've been fun to watch, especially with all the injuries they've had. So it's uh, it's going to be fun going forward to to see if they can keep it up. TJ, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, and best of luck this season. I know you're going to do great things for uh, the TNT down there covering the Mariners. And thanks for being with us. I'm sure I'll be seeing you out there soon. You bet. That's TJ Cotterell. The Mariners beat writer for the Tacoma News Tribune. So before we break uh, for the top of the hour, let's reveal the name of the show. Look, you guys had a lot of names. I've got a list of 22 possible names here from Let's Be Blunt, uh, Blunt Sports, Blunt Sports Drama instead of Blunt Sports Trauma. And, of course, there's, you know, there's Jason Puckett's name, Smoking Sports with Terry Blunt, or Pass the Blunt. I uh, don't think we're going to do those. Uh, can I be blunt? That's not a bad one. Blunt force, blunt force drama. I think I said that one. Oh, by the way, that's BFD. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think we'll pass on that. Blunt truth, Terry's takes, be blunt about sports. <laughs> Give it to me, blunt. Oh, that's bad. Uh, sacrifice blunt, Saturday sports fix. Uh, what else is on here? Hate to be blunt, sport, blunt speak. Blunt Bull, that's probably the most accurate one, Blunt Bull. Bluntly Speaking or I'll Be Blunt, that's some of them. I I don't know what Curtis uh, thinks is good here uh, on all those uh, ridiculous names. But uh, we do have a pick that I'm going to go with here that may be a tad boring to some, but I think it makes sense sense for us, and that is the name of the show every Saturday is going to be Blunt Sports Talk. Blunt Sports Talk simply where that simply means along with my name, it's going to be direct talk about sports, what we really think. You can give your opinions. We'll give our opinions. Every week it's Blunt Sports Talk. That also aligns with my website where I write on my website about sports, mostly here about sports here in the Seattle area. So Blunt Sports Talk will be the name going forward uh, you know, every Saturday. And uh, I want to just thank everybody for all the suggestions. Oh, my gosh. They were, they were funny. They were fun. There's so many of them. A lot of others I seriously considered. Some I couldn't possibly consider. But uh, I think it'll be fun. I think that's an easy one for everybody to remember. BST, Blunt Sports Talk. So uh, I think that'll be cool. Uh, coming up in the next segment to start the hour, it's going to be cool. We're going to have an interview with Michael Dixon, the rookie punter. For the Seahawks from the University of Texas, he's Australian. He has got a booming kick. It is no stretch to say that many people have considered him the best punter to come out of college to to go into the NFL since Ray Guy. That is a big statement, I realize, but this kid is really that good. I'm really looking forward to talk to him. I think you're going to enjoy it. We'll be back uh, with the final segment here at 950 KJR. Sports Saturday on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. One more segment today on Blunt Sports Talk here at 950 KJR. Listen, it's a lot of great stuff coming up. We're going to have Michael Dixon, the new punter uh, for the Seahawks out of the University of Texas. We're going to talk about your Mount Rushmore of the Mariners, who you four guys you would put on there. Who you chose, the rookie, to be the most impact this year for the Seahawks. And we're going to close out uh, right before that. We'll go to Sounders pregame. they got a really important game this afternoon at the CenturyLink Field against Columbus. So uh, we'll have Sounders pregame coming up uh, before right at the half hour here. So 
First, we're going to start off with uh, the new punter for the Seattle Seahawks. That is uh, fifth-round draft choice Michael Dixon from the University of Texas. Michael, so thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. Uh, oh, we haven't got him yet. He's not on yet. He'll be on soon, though. Michael Dixon's going to join us. He's probably finishing up a meeting, so not quite there yet. But So let's go ahead and talk about why we've got the chance. The Mount Rushmore of of uh, Mariners for you. So since Ichiro was kind of, you know, in quotations, retiring, not retiring, but retired for this year anyway, uh, we wanted to bring up who you thought would make your Mount Rushmore uh, for the Mariners. And you've been voting for a couple of days on Twitter and, and on my uh, Facebook page. So here's who came up the four winners. And it was close, by the way. Ichiro, of course, is one of them. No doubt about that. He's He's on there. And so is, of course, Ken Griffey. Those are very obvious. The other, the other two, uh, well, one's pretty obvious after that, and that's Edgar Martinez. He's the third one. The fourth one was a really close vote, at least on the people who voted that I asked you to vote. And the fourth one is Felix Hernandez. But it was very close between Felix Hernandez and Randy Johnson. Now, the difference to me between the two is Felix Hernandez has spent his entire career here, 14 years and counting right now, and Randy Johnson was with the Mariners for 10 of his 22 years, but there were some very big years, obviously, important years, uh, when they were actually quite good. And so that's that was a really close vote. Those were the five, and Felix just edged out uh, edged out Randy Johnson for the fourth spot. So, you know, I don't have a problem with those. Is that you, how you would go, Curtis? Yeah, probably. Um, Randy in totality has been the more accomplished pitcher, but a good chunk of that came after he left Seattle, particularly with the Diamondbacks down in Arizona. Right. So, um, Felix probably carries that for now, I would think for sure. So that's a, that's a pretty impressive list. We might do some more of those later. You know, maybe we'll do one with, uh, the Seahawks. Maybe we'll even do one with the Sonics, you know, and, uh, going forward. So, that was interesting. We also, I also had you guys ask, uh, I asked you guys who would be the most impactful rookie this season for the Seahawks. And I put four people on that list on Twitter, got a lot of votes on it. And the four were Michael Dixon was one of them, who we will talk to hopefully in just a minute here. Another one was Rashad Penny, their first round draft voice, the running back. Another one is Rasheem Green, the defensive lineman out of Southern Cal. And a fourth possible pick on that list uh, was, uh, that's it. Well, oh, oh, Shaquem Griffin, of course. Shaquem Griffin, the linebacker from Central Florida, everyone's favorite guy. <laughs> no question about that these days. So who of those four did you think would be the most impactful this season? What would you say of those four, Curtis? Uh, probably Penny, just because as a running back, you're going to get those those premier sort of uh, reps and the chance to make an impact on the game and particularly with as much as um, Seattle has emphasized this offseason their desire to get back to the running game I think he's going to get some work let's just put it that that way right right there's no question about that I mean he's it just depends you know how it goes with Chris Carson oh, they're very high on Chris he may end up splitting time with Chris which is fine but uh, you don't draft a guy in the first round not to make him your you know your go-to pony so there's no question he's going to get a lot of reps. And by the way, that was the pick in a landslide of those four. Penny got 57% of the vote. Second was Griffin with 20% of the vote, just edging out uh, Michael Dixon with 18% of the vote. And then uh, Green got 5% of the vote of those four guys. Now, I might have said Dixon. You know, that's that's a guy that can have a real impact for them if he is as good as he appears to be because he will have such an impact on field position for them when they plan, when the plan is to go back to a power running game type, off, type offense. So, you know, I, I watched one video of him, Curtis, uh, from last season with Texas where he kicked the ball. The ball left his foot at the Texas five-yard line. It landed in the air at the other 23-yard line, so that's what, 85, 82 yards in the air, 82 yards in the air, and then it rolled to the 8-yard line. <laughs> so I think they I think they kicked the ball from like their uh, 15 or something like that, and it ended up at the other team's 8. That's the kind of thing that can make a big difference in a football game. It was, I mean, I had a chance to watch him a little bit yesterday, 
and he's got some effortless leg strength. There's no question about it. He, you know, I was standing on uh, the sideline that's next to the water, next to the lake, and he was on the on the back field, which they primarily use for special team stuff mostly. And he he was kicking from the far end of the field from from what looked like the goal line. I didn't have a great perspective to see exactly where it's at, but I think that's where he was at. And he was flying kicks to like the opposing 25, 20, somewhere in that neighborhood. And and then on kicks where he wasn't going for pure distance either, he was hitting like he, he hits a really high ball, really yeah. high ball. That's huge. And um, yeah, it's absolutely huge. It can be a real important part for how you want to go about things and enforcing um, giving your return teams time to get downfield to cover as well. So, uh, you know, I, I was joking with you about this earlier. There was some balls that looked like pure miss hits too, right. whether they were or not, or if he was doing something funky kicking. trying to do some stuff, I, I can't tell you. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, he could be hoodwinking all of us on that front and say, Oh no, I meant to do that. I mean, we don't know for, for certain, but, um, what, he's definitely got some leg talent. There's no question about it. Um, if I was to rank those four, I would probably have ranked them Penny, Dixon, Green, and then Griffin last out of those four in how, how I thought, think they would impact. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, impact I don't have a problem season. with that. By the way, I just got a message from the Seahawks. Dixon is still going to call in. They were just finishing a walkthrough. He's going to call in and talk to us here in a couple of minutes. I think it would be really interesting to ask him a lot of questions how he got to the University of Texas, I believe, from a YouTube video from Australia when he was playing Australian rules football. Uh, they're supposedly, I have not seen it, but I think I heard Pete Carroll talk about that. There's supposedly a video of him drop kicking a ball 60 yards. So I thought, oh my God, I asked him about that. But the guy can definitely boom it. Now, it is different, you know, punting in the NFL than punting in college football. You got a lot bigger guys, a lot faster guys. The ball's a different you. shape. The ball is actually bigger. So it's shaped more, uh, it's more lengthwise, right? It's more elongated. Yeah, yeah, it's more elongated, which I would think would make it more difficult to punt. So those are all good questions, you know, to ask him and, and how he feels about it. Now, you know, he's he's a little bit unusual in that he is actually more of a football player than some punters are because he played Australian rules football. And he's done a lot of things that a lot of kickers or punters haven't done. So uh, he's a really serious athlete and you know it's it's so unusual first of all it's very unusual that a guy would come out of college's junior year as a punter but we're talking about a guy who was the MVP of the last game he played in the Texas Bowl against Missouri when he had 10 of 11 punts inside the 20 so it was a big factor in Texas winning the football game uh, I'm sure so that's a good thing to ask him about as well. And it's just so unusual number also that a team would move up in the draft as the Seahawks did to get him. That's how much they thought of him. It's unusual just to be picked in the first round, fifth round, although there were two other oh, kickers. Oh, that's when you start to see kickers start to yeah, go. There were two other kickers round. in the fifth round in this draft. I mean, I mean, everybody still continues to land base the Jacksonville Jaguars for taking a punter a pick after a pick ahead, of, uh, ahead Russell of Russell Wilson, Wilson right? Yeah. A third round pick, clearly, <laughs> yeah. so, and Brian Anger. So. That might have been a bit of a stretch. Yeah, and, so. and then Roberto Aguayo, a place kicker, not a punter, went in the second round. What was it, two years ago? And right. so, I mean, kickers can go all over the place. It's not like it's not like your fantasy leagues where they should go undrafted all the time and you find somebody else later. Like, there's a reason to draft kickers, and Michael Dixon, if he can, if he is what everybody thinks he is, will be their kicker for ten plus years. There's value in that, right? There's absolutely value. In and that. how many? I don't know how many times though. I don't know if I've ever seen a team actually move up in the draft and give away a pick to pick a punter. So that says a lot. That says a lot about, you know, how good this guy is and what they believe he can be and how much of a difference he can make. And there's also to factor in that, you know, there's a, there's a money component to this. It may save as much as $5 million on the salary cap for the Seahawks over the next two years uh, if they don't keep John Ryan. And John Ryan has been a wonderful player for them for a very long time, a really good guy. I would I would be shocked if he doesn't end up punting for another team this year. So, and we've got him. Michael Dixon is here with us. And Michael, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming off the uh, the walkthrough there, just to have a few minutes with us and talk to us. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Happy to. Thanks for having me, guys. Listen, uh, I've got to ask you about a couple of things. First, uh, 
it's amazing some of the video I have seen of you and some of the punts I've seen. I saw a YouTube of you kicking that I just was knocked my eyes out. But there apparently is a video, and I haven't seen it, but is there actual video of you of drop kicking a ball 60 yards? Yeah, um, <laughs> there is. I had it up on my Instagram a while ago. I don't know if I took it down. I might have to might have to put it back up. Yeah, you definitely should put that back up. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, it's so funny because you could see maybe if a, if a snap went awry and you had to run around and drop kick the 60-yard field goal, that would be a story. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, no, that'd be, that'd yeah be that's cool. So, so tell us the story of how you got from uh, Sydney, Australia to the University of Texas. So, yeah, I played uh, Aussie rules for about 10 years growing up as a kid um, and then kind of got to a pretty high level in that but could see that it wasn't going to go to professionals and um, throughout my career had always been told that I had a big punt and that I should give American football a try. Uh, it, it was more so a joke when people were saying it because I had a big punt. So I kind of took it serious and looked up to see if there was any coaches in Australia to see if I could give it a crack and found one in Nathan Chapman and he said that I had the talent to if I trained up for a couple months that I'd be able to play at college level and four months in Texas had offered me just based off um, his word and sent some YouTube film over of me punting and they liked it and then moved over there. Had you ever been to Austin, Texas before or anywhere in Texas? No, um, not until they brought me out on my official in (laughs) June and then was there for 40 hours, had to had to fly back, so it was a 17-hour flight, and then back wow. to back to Sydney, another 17 hours. So, you know, I always like to ask uh, the, the rookies that come into rookie camp this about the VMAC facility and about your first day out there and what it's like. But in your case, though, I know the University of Texas, because I've seen it many times, has one of the best athletic facilities in the country with all the things they have for their athletes there. It's it's top-notch, state-of-the-art, probably better than anyone in the country. But uh, also, usually people come here and they're really impressed with the Seahawks facility, with the VMAC there on the lake, uh, the, how picturesque it is. Yesterday was a beautiful day. What, were, what are your thoughts about uh, just some of your initial feelings about being here, being at the facility, and how it's gone since you've arrived? The facility is unbelievable. It's, um, you know, prime location. We, there's a great indoor that, or I could actually punt in, which is a first, because every other indoor I've been to, the ball just hits the roof. So this, <laughs> one, this one got me really excited. Um, but it's, it's not just the facility and everything. It's, there's just a loving vibe that I've, that I've picked up on around here. It's just so positive, and that's what's got me the most excited more than anything. It's just the, the amount of positivity that flows through this building that... Um, is unmatched anywhere else I've been. That's fantastic. What the coaching staff? You feel good about that? You feel good about the things they're telling you and 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 all the information you've received? Is that how you feel about it? Yeah, I mean it's just supportive, and they want to make it. Um, you know, everyone everyone is in competition, so I mean I'm just excited to compete, and I'm excited to to be here. So. The the response from the guys that came in as well, everything is just all positivity and just blessed to have an opportunity to compete is is the main um, emotion that everyone's feeling right now. So let me ask you a technical question. Obviously, the football is different. The NFL football is more elongated than the college football. What's that adjustment like for you? I guess you had to do this also when you came from Aussie Rules football. So. What's the adjustment like for you? How different is it kicking the NFL ball as compared to the NCAA ball? Yeah, it's got a, it's a little juicier the NFL ball, um, and I I prefer it to be honest. Really? Since yeah, so I've been hitting. I mean, if I feel like it increases your hang time a little bit because it's got that little bit of juice to it. it it's got a bigger sweet spot, so I feel like. I'm more confident with the with an NFL ball, so I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully getting some game time and seeing what I can do with it. That's great. I mean, I I watched some video of you uh, during some of your career at Texas. I saw one kick that was on, uh, I think it was a YouTube video that you actually your foot hit the ball at the Texas five yard line, landed at the opponent's 23 yard line. That's 82 yards, <laughs> and then rolled to the eight. I mean, good Lord. I mean, I know that's an extraordinary kick, but do you feel like at any given time you can kick the ball in the air, you know, 60, 70 yards? Definitely. Um, when I'm feeling loose and when I'm feeling confident, 
um, I feel like I can I can really kick the ball, you know, 60 yards, and that's it's when when you don't try is when is really when I when I hit them the best and they go 60 plus. Right, but that's 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 not a bad situation. Do you uh, think at all about obviously you got bigger, stronger, faster guys that are going to be rushing you when you when you get you get a chance to have a punt here in the NFL? Do are you confident you're okay with that and you can you know you can handle the pressure that's going to be coming at you? Yeah, one hundred percent. My my job doesn't change from when I'm catching a snap with no rush to when I'm catching a snap with a rush. It's I mean if. I would trust in the guys that in the team that I'd be on that they do their job, and if they didn't do their job, there's nothing I could do anyway. So I, I like thinking that it's just like any other kick at a park. You just catch it and you you kick it, you, and you do it quick, and that's about all you can do. <laughs> and we should we should say I don't believe you had any you didn't have a punt blocked in your college career. That's correct, right? Yes, that's that's, what, that's, that's amazing. Happened. That's really amazing. <laughs> so that's a that's a lot to uh, feel good about. Well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Michael. We wish you the best of luck this season. It's going to be fun watching you. I think you can really make a difference for them uh, with them going to a more running attack as they hope in the field position game, and uh, it's going to be fun watching you kick. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That is Michael Dixon, the rookie punter for the Seattle Seahawks fifth-round draft pick, and I'm telling you, folks, I, I know you don't normally get excited maybe about a punter, but this is a punter that can make a difference in winning and losing a lot of games. He, he is going to win games for this team if he punts anywhere close to the way he did in college. I was interested, Curtis, in him saying that he actually liked the NFL football better because he feels like it's a little uh, easier to get a hang time on, which is another big factor. Yeah, it's really too bad that he, he's going to face such a... <laughs> problem now coming in and having to kick this different ball no i mean if if, if that's uh better in his benefit as well um that can only be a good thing well listen you were out there yesterday and you are our expert on the seahawks you've covered the team for a very long time uh before we end the show today i really wanted to ask you some of your takes from yesterday what stood out for you and you know i realize it's just one day but what stood out for you yesterday at the start of rookie game it's it's first of all it's tough because I think they have what seventy seven players out there. Unbelievable! Isn't that um, the most they've ever had? Probably probably by a little bit. But I mean, out of those seventy seven players, sixty of them have not a whole lot oh, of shit. business really being on an NFL roster or practice field, and so it, it's hard to gauge against what they will look like. You could have a guy go out there and look like he's gonna own the world on that practice field and then all of a sudden like in past years when they all of a sudden have to start going up against Richard Sherman and Bobby Wagner and guys on the, right. all of a sudden that goes away pretty quick one of the things uh, I always noticed out there that I laugh about in this I, I assume this didn't happen yesterday but the Seahawks don't practice a long time typically but they practice really fast mm -hmm. I mean you're constantly in motion constantly going and there's always one guy maybe two that loses his lunch out there because he's just not used to going full speed the whole time. And that's different. That's what's different about the Seahawks practice. And that's really a way that they kind of sort these kids out and see, you know, what kind of shape they're in, how they handle that kind of really fast environment, not only from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint. Can you get out there time after time after again when you're going that fast and understand what's going on and do the right thing? So that's kind of their modus operandi, isn't it? Yeah, I mean – that's part of it, and then for sure, they're practicing 24 hours after they're getting to town and getting their playbooks, and so some of it's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, you're having a lot of false starts, procedure penalties, those sort of things that affect how things work. Quarterbacks throwing to receivers they just met a day ago. Uh, it's not conducive to learning a ton, particularly with line play. It's going to be throw it out the, the door, basically. Yeah. Um, that's where you really just can't tell about right and and so you know a lot of it's just how does the guy look how does he move you know does it make sense mm -hmm. uh and there's certainly some guys out there that you see that look the part for sure um uh, jacob martin i think looks the part i think marcel frazier who's one of their undrafted free agent signings defensive end looks like looks like he fits the bill pretty good um Rash rashad penny is a you know built running back really good size running back um, it, it, it is a little bit odd getting used to watching a linebacker that doesn't have a hand. 
It is a, sure. just because I've never seen it before. It's right. a, None it's of us something have. that's com- it's it's different to pick up with your eyes, and all of a sudden there's a guy out there that's missing a a, a left hand, and so it's a little bit unusual to get used to that sure. for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you too. I, I meant to ask Greg this. I didn't get a chance. I, and you brought up one, and it's again, it's the first day. Who knows? But are there any of the undrafted rookie free agents that you think? you know, has a chance to, to maybe make an impact in undrafted free agent signings. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a couple, particularly at fullback because okay. they're bringing fullback back, right. you know, they're, it's like, it's 1999. They're bringing fullback back again, you know? So, um, yeah. <laughs> and there's a couple that they've got as a undrafted free agents. Khalid Hill out of Michigan is big dude, 260 pound fullback oh, option wow. that they're going to have out there and then there's another one from division two slippery rock i believe marcus martin uh, is his name that goes with the two guys they already have in a contract and trey madden and jalston fowler fullback is going to be back in this offense again right running out of the eye formation is going to be back in this offense again um so that's going to be something uh they didn't outside of griffin they didn't draft it you know they didn't add any other linebackers and there's room for somebody to potentially pop and make it as a depth option at linebacker be the next uh Coil, Brock Coil kind of guy. Potentially, yeah. sure. Um, you know, they brought in an undrafted free agent long snapper from Oregon uh, who could push Tyler Ott for, for that job. Um, receiver, there's potentially room for competition there, though the first day didn't necessarily have anybody stand out to me mm-hmm. um, on that front. Uh, I so know there's the, a few uh, different spots where you could look at. I know there's a lot of people that are really high on the defensive tackle for the University of Texas, and uh, – but he's short. He's only 5'11". He weighs like 305 pounds, and that's why he didn't get drafted. But apparently people are really high on him. Yeah, I, I think he was one of those production guys in college for sure. That yeah. You just don't know what he's going to be able to translate to the next level. Interesting to see how it goes. I really appreciate Curtis Crabtree being with me today. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening, everybody that was a part of the show today. I can't thank you enough. This is our first show of a hope will be many. It's great to have a show on Saturday every week. We've got Sounders pregame coming up, a really important game. I'm actually going over there right after this. Sounders game against Columbus is going to be a big game for them. Our Sounders pregame show is coming up. It's been a fun, quick show. I hope it's going to be fun every week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Stick with us on 950 Sports Radio, KJR.